This is Leicester Emergent Arts Radio. Yeah, my name's Sean Clark. I'm an artist based here in Leicester. And um, as well as creating my own artwork, I like to curate exhibitions of other people's work, um, particularly sort of experimental and digital. Um, and really, I'm here today to talk about the latest exhibition, which is an exhibition of work that was created by digital artists based in Leicester over the past 50 years. So we're at the Phoenix um, Cinema and Arts Centre here in Leicester. Uh, many people will know it as um, a sort of independent cinema, but it also has an active arts programme. And, and what, they're, um, what they've offered me, what they allow me to do, is to put small exhibitions on in the cafe bar area, which is where we're sitting now. So the exhibitions take the form of 20 framed pictures with some additional context information. And over the past year, I've looked at individual artists, um, the Quantel paint box, we had an exhibition here about that. Um, I've also put exhibitions on of Leicester artists, but people from outside Leicester as well. So we have quite a nice ongoing programme of 20 print exhibitions here in the cafe bar. And the latest one, I've called it Leicester Computer Art Pioneers. So it, it's interesting, I, I think everywhere has a history and everywhere probably has a history that involves digital art but Leicester is quite special in many ways because it actually had a very early digital art um, community here that started in the late 60s and really thrived in the 70s and what I'm trying to do starting with that community is to first of all document some of the artists who were involved in it and show their work but also start making connections to the present day so that we can see how this early pioneering work has influenced artists who are still based in Leicester and Leicestershire, but not just about the city, the counties included as well. So what we have with the Pioneers exhibition are eight artists, the two of whom started work in the late 60s, early 70s, and others working in the 70s and 80s, and I've also included myself, started work in the 90s. So. I'm attempting to show how there's, this history has grown over the past 50 years. Now, one thing I try to make very clear is this is not every digital artist who worked in Leicester. It's only eight people. And what I would like to think is that this exhibition will stimulate interest in uncovering more of that history so that at some point in the future, we'll have a follow-on exhibition, another eight artists, another eight artists, and so on. And we really will start to capture this really quite exciting 50, almost 60-year history.
So really I started the, the story, what I call the narrative of this exhibition, with actually with a meeting. And the meeting happened in 1968 between Ernest Edmonds, um, who remains a well-known um, digital artist with very strong Leicester connections, and Stroud Cornock, who sadly is no longer with us. Um, Ernest was working at the Technical College and Stroud was working at the Art College. Ernest was looking for some support in a project he was working on. Ernest has always been an artist as well as a, a mathematician and a computer scientist and so on. So from the Technical College, he went over to the Art College and fortuitously bumped into Stroud Cornock, asked him some questions about how to help make this artwork and also mentioned that this artwork had involved the use of computers to help construct it and that triggered Stroud's interest and so from that chance meeting in 1968 I think we can follow an interesting story that involves the two of them but brings other people in as well. So this exhibition starts with that chance meeting, shows some of the work they produced together and then brings us up to not quite the present day because at the moment I'm focusing on pre-2000 but eventually when this work is complete it will take us right the way up to the present day. Artists started working with computers almost as soon as computers emerged and it's often the case that artists are amongst the earliest adopters of new technology, photography, cinema, um, TV and that sort of thing, video. And it is the case with um, computers as well, that artists did start working with computers very early, but of course early computers were nothing like the computers that we, we use now, either as a laptop or our phones or whatever. So a typical early computer had an input device and the input device was to get data into the computer and it was typically a keyboard and the keyboard would have had a little printer attached to it so it would have been what's known as a teletype. Those of us old enough to remember the football scores coming in, clicking away with the, the pictures, the characters appearing character at time, that was a sort of teletype machine. So the input to the computer was the teletype. The computer itself, its job is to compute, is to transform the input using a computer program that was often written in a very what they call low-level language that involved flicking switches or typing in the equivalent of binary digits. And then there was the output device. And early computers, in fact the very early computers, the only what we would call output device, I guess, that you could create an artwork on was a, was a oscilloscope. So very early computers, the program would drive the oscilloscope, which is sort of a way of visualising waves, and you'd see images on that little screen, and people would then photograph them to preserve them. There was no way of, of, of exporting that image. But when we're looking at the late 1960s, the typical output on a computer was a printer, and around about the same time, the development of a plotter, which was a form of drawing machine, often used for architectural and engineering drawings, but of course artists co-opted that machine and started creating images with it. So if we're looking at 1968, the era that this exhibition starts in, the computer, which I believe it was the Leicester Poly computer, may well have been something called a Honeywell computer. Um, there were lots of brands at the time. The size of a room, that classic cliche, the computer the size of a room, with a teletype input, also a paper tape input for loading the program. So paper tape was a sort of one inch thick um, tape full of holes and those holes represented binary numbers that could be loaded into the computer's memory. And then the output of um, this, these, comput these computers was a printer. 
So the first artwork we have, um, in fact, I know it's not the first art. The first artwork that used the computer was uh, one of Ernest Edmonds' pieces, and he actually used the computer to decide the order of the parts. So he created the parts himself, and he was looking for support from Stroud to spray paint these parts. So they were spray painted elements, and the computer program said the order in which they should go. And he was trying to solve a problem by ordering them in a certain way. But the first artwork that came out of Stroud and Ernest's um, collaboration was an artwork called Data Pack, which involved the person interacting with the computer, which of course at the time was a very novel thing. Most people had never used the computer. They would interact with the computer via the teletype, answer questions, and the output of their dialogue would be then be given to them as a computer printout. So they conceived this as an interactive artwork, but maybe it's not that similar to what people now think of interactive artworks. But it had all the right sort of properties. The user could change the artwork by operating it. There was an output, okay, it was a printout. Um, but it had all those elements. And this was an artwork that was really conceived in 1969, Datapack. Um, so we start from that, ex that, that piece of work there, which was exhibited fairly widely, actually, at the time, I believe. Um, and then we start going through a number of artists and their work up until around about 2000.
Well, I think famously the head of IBM once said that he felt the world market for computers was about five. I think this was probably back in the 50s. And yes, they were used, they were very expensive, first of all. They, these weren't home computers that we got to know in the 80s. These were devices that only large institutions could afford to buy. And therefore, they were seen as a valuable resource. We don't really think of computing time as a resource now, but back in the day, you were billed according to how much you used that computer. Imagine being billed according to how much you used your iPhone every day. It would certainly ration how much you used it, and it would make you value the computing power in that device. But luckily, we're beyond that. So in 1968, a computer was a very expensive calculating device, typically used in commerce, so with payrolls, calculating inventories, working out some schedules for delivering things and so on. So important problems that needed to be solved accurately um, and by having an efficient solution, you would save money. And they were also used in academia um, as mathematical devices for solving computational problems, but increasingly as research tools. So people were trying to understand what these newfangled devices could be used in a, um, in a sort of modern world. I think what Stroud and Ernest recognized was that the potential of that machine went beyond commerce and maths and that the computer may be a device that you could create artworks with. Now that's quite a significant insight because at the time it wasn't, well I wouldn't say that was an obvious thing. We didn't have video screens connected to computers and we didn't have touch screens for interacting with them. You had to be very expert in programming them. So it was an important insight in that late 60s period that the computer could go beyond the traditional uses. Now I believe that the university as a research as well as educational institution was happy to give them the computer time. So once the university had bought the computer, I don't believe they build departments. Maybe they did. Maybe they build people and they had to join the queue for um, use of the computer in that way. But the, the universities, or the Poly, as it was, Leicester Poly, I think supported their work and enabled them to have the computer time they needed. This is Leicester Emergent Arts So this is, this is the interesting narrative, the interesting story I'm trying to pull out. So, I, you know, as mentioned, I don't claim that Leicester is the centre of the universe when it comes to computer art. However, because a number of very important early computer art people were here in Leicester, or who became computer art pioneers, Leicester does have a, a fascinating history. So we look at this initial meeting between Stroud and Ernest at Leicester Polytechnic. Well, it wasn't even Leicester Polytechnic, it was the art school and the technical school, which would soon become merged as part of Leicester Polytechnic. So we look at this early chance meeting, them developing their artwork, but also developing a reputation and what became a sort of centre for early digital art. So in the late 60s, it was a time of pioneering, just meeting and doing work. In the 70s, they started to attract other people as well. So we have in the exhibition a number of those 1970s um, people. So we have Stephen Scrivener, who was Ernest's PhD student, I believe his first PhD student. Um, he started off at Leicester School of Art as, as a painter, actually. Went off to a department in London at the Slade called the Experimental Department, led by somebody called Malcolm Hughes. And then because that department wasn't, wasn't able to offer PhDs, he returned to Leicester to study with Ernest Edmonds. Um, and he then developed some really fascinating in interactive 
um, computer artworks. I've got some lovely printouts of original pieces, and at the bottom of the um, artwork it says Leicester Computer Centre, which was what they called the Polytechnic's um, computing resource. Um, so Stephen Scrivener is in the exhibition. We also have Dominic Borum. Um, Dominic Borum is sadly no longer with us, and he created some really interesting experimental uh, what is often known as constructivist artworks using computers. So these include grids and lines and squares and so on. And we have two pieces by him in the exhibition. And then we look at, and of course there were more people in the 70s, and I, I want to have a call out to anybody listening to this to say if you're aware of artwork, computer artwork being done in the 70s, 80s in particular, please get in touch, I'd love to include it. Um, we then move on slightly later to the 80s and we have work by um, Graham Bate who was at Leicester Poly Stroke de Montford University as it became um, and then we have another person um, Brian Reffin Smith who is slightly outside of that university narrative which is nice to include him because of that he grew up in um, Sileby went to um, school here and he left to go to university I think he went to Brunel first of all and then to the Royal College of Art and he's developed uh, an interesting practice and a big a very high reputation as a conceptual artist and a computer artist. So we were able to incorporate people who didn't necessarily study in Leicester, but they grew up in Leicester, they have Leicester connections. Um, and then I've added two more, two more artworks for this exhibition, one by Stephen Bell, or sorry, two by Stephen Bell. Stephen Bell joins the story at Loughborough University, um, as, as you'll hear I will, um, in that he started studying and working with Ernest Edmonds when Ernest had moved from Leicester to Loughborough. So Loughborough in Leicester, Polytechnic, he was there until mid-80s, and then he moved to Loughborough University with a lot of the team, and they continued to do research into art and technology, and Stephen Bell was attracted to that, and he studied with Ernest again, um, and his work sort of culminated or came, initially came to fruition in the mid to late 80s. And then finally, I have included myself in this because I was lucky enough to, as an undergraduate, go to Loughborough University when Ernest and the team arrived. So I got to know some of these pioneers, Stephen Scrivener, Ernest himself, and so on, and later on Stroud, because of that connection. So I felt that there was a... a, a a connection to be made to show that it wasn't just the city, although the city has a pivotal role, but it became Loughborough University as well, and also with Brian Reffin Smith, we have people born, born, well, not quite born, I think he moved here when he was very young, but grew, who grew up in the area and so on. So this, this, this exhibition, I think, has the sorts of things we're interested in exploring further. So the university work, the universities were very important in computer art because up until the 80s you couldn't have a computer at home. It was just completely un unrealistic to, to be able to afford one. So we have the university story, we have artists born in the area, we have later connections to Leicester University, Loughborough University, and of course um, uh, Leicester University itself as well as Leicester Polytechnic. Um, both of them I think have interesting contributions to make. So we're connecting these threads, really, between different elements of what happened in Leicester.
the aesthetics of computer art, that's a very interesting area because we shouldn't pretend that a computer aesthetic instantly emerged in the 1960s, that instantly this was computer art and this is what computer art looks like and everyone understands what it's about. I'd still say that in many respects, people don't, the general public, general viewing public, don't necessarily understand what computer art is. They know it's art made with computers, but does it mean therefore it is only on screen? You can only see it on a computer screen. Does it mean it has to have 3D graphics like video games? Um, does it mean that it's actually a bit boring because it's made by computers and computers aren't as interesting as people? So what was being established elsewhere, but also in Leicester, is what is the nature of the computer art aesthetic? And I think what we see now is that partly because of the constraints of the devices, they were calculating devices with plotters and printers attached to them um, before the arrival of the video screen. A lot of what we have are two-dimensional images that have been constructed by computer. So they're not running on a computer screen. So that's sort of quite handy for an exhibition like this because it means we can print them out and put them up on the wall. But these days, I think the computer aesthetic most definitely includes screens and animations and a whole bunch of other things. So the work we're showing here, although not all of it actually is two-dimensional work, sometimes we've got images showing the three-dimensional piece, which that, you know, in many cases doesn't exist anymore, so it's documentation of the artwork. But, but going back to the idea, what was that early aesthetic? And I think a big element of it was the idea that the computer, being a very fast calculating device, could explore combinations and permutations of different elements. So the computer, whereas, say, a human might be able to construct a drawing by following some rules, let's say I'm going to draw lines and the lines are going to be parallel, but every fifth one is going to be at a random angle. And you could sit in front of a piece of paper with a ruler and follow that rule and an image would emerge. What you can do with a computer is do that sort of thing extremely quickly and a huge number of times. And what then gets printed out is a much more complex image. So you'll see a number of the images here um, are what would perhaps in the mainstream or in the broader art field, I don't like the word mainstream, in the sort of general art field, we might be seen as a constructivist image, or maybe people might think of them as minimalist images, or, um, a, yeah, minimal, constructed, constructivist image. That was really where the early computer art sort of entered, creating these images of lines and boxes and interacting elements, elements that cross over each other. So particularly if you look at a lovely piece of Dominic Borum's work um, of horizontal lines you think well horizontal lines doesn't sound very exciting if you can draw a grid of horizontal lines but you look at that image there's so much detail in it different thickness of the lines different spacing between them and it is an image you can look at and try to make sense of and just simply enjoy for a long period of time so we have work like that we have Stephen Scrivener's work uh, similar um, blocks of simply drawn lines coming out on computer programs and so on computer printers so this early aesthetic I think you'll recognise that a computer must have been involved in the production of the image because no person surely could draw a thousand horizontal lines like that. But on the other hand, it sort of has a familiarity to it because it hasn't emerged from a vacuum. It's come from sort of modern art history, minimalism, that sort of thing, constructivism. So how, do, how does this work relevant? It's like central really to the, the reason I put the exhibition on because I believe it's highly relevant. Um, Every other art form, painting, sculpture, theatre, has a strong awareness of history. 
you couldn't be a playwright without understanding at least a little bit of Shakespeare. You couldn't be a painter without understanding Leonardo or whatever. However, often in digital art, because of this obsession with new technology, artists and audiences alike sometimes don't recognise that this medium has a history, this art form has a history. And a lot of the ideas being explored by artists 50 years ago, they may not have been visualised in the way we can visualise now with beautiful high-res graphics, photorealistic graphics and so on. But the ideas are still interesting. And some of the ideas to continue the thoughts about aesthetics, some of the ideas are to do with computation. They think, well, computation, that sounds very technical. But actually, we live in a world powered by computation, calculations, processes that involve repeating calculations to uncover things. And it's how our mobile devices work, but it's also just generally how society works. Things are computed, things are moved and so on. So computation in its own right is an interesting thing because it's embedded within society. And these early artists are often interested in simply what does it mean to compute something? What happens if a computing process runs for a period of time? I think that's still very relevant now. It also says to me that artists have to be involved in new technology because they help us understand it. And in a world now where new technology, well, it's not even new, te technology is everywhere, I think we need artistic voices sometimes to help us, help us make sense of that. And I see that in this exhibition. You've got artists working with technology, trying to make sense of it themselves and offering a bit of an insight to us about what this new thing, this new technology can do. This is an interest I've had for quite a long time. So, because when I was an undergraduate, I had a limited awareness that this group of very interesting people had turned up at Loughborough University Computer Studies Department and were doing things in a very different way to the traditional computer scientists. So, um, it was very exciting for me, really, in that, um, as an undergraduate, this group of people turned up at Loughborough University and they were doing the stuff that I really wanted to do with computers. I, I was happy to use computers. I was, I was a computer studies student at the time, and I liked computers, and I liked to compute things and whatever. But this group turned up, and they were interested in art and user interfaces, all the really exciting stuff. Um, so for me, it's been quite exciting to explore that history in a bit more depth. Um, it also says to me that there's so much more to be done. There's a lot of history that I haven't yet recorded. I haven't met the people. I'm aware of certain people who I ought to include and I haven't yet had a chance to research. And I can see this ongoing project revealing more interesting artwork and making connections. So there's the, the pleasure of discovering that we have a local digital art history that is definitely worth exploring. Um, I think that, that's an important part of it. I think also I've had this long-running ambition as an artist who works in Leicester, and I have done for 20 years, of really... I suppose, to, to, to call it a cliche, putting Leicester on the map when it comes to digital art. And, that, and that's not just about the history, it's about what's happening now. There's a lot of interesting digital art happening in Leicester. Some of it you may not think of as digital art when you see it go to a performance event, but a lot of those performance events have visual elements that are generated by computer. Or you go to an exhibition at here at Phoenix or at LCB at the gallery on campus and you might see work that actually is digital work. So I'm quite excited about getting that message out that we have a lot of interesting digital work in the area. I think also maybe another point is that I'm, I'm an artist myself, I'm a practitioner. I, in my practice, and the way I work creatively is I like to understand other people's ideas. I'm not, this, I'm not the sort of artist who believes that they're like a little tiny bubble and they, everything comes out of their own head. I think the best work comes out of understanding what's happened before you, what your contemporaries are doing, 
and then you can stand on those shoulders and hopefully make better work yourself. So I find it rewarding as part of my creative practice to know more about this stuff. So um, I, I'd say the best website to go to would be interactdigitalarts.uk. That's my website. So it's all one word, Interact Digital Arts. And on there, you'll find a link to the exhibition website. And that has information, as small copies of the, every image in the exhibition and information about the artists. There will also be a catalogue arriving very soon. And that, there'll be a limited number of printed copies, but there'll also be a PDF that you can download for free. Um, and then, of course, you can come here to Phoenix and you'll see some notes as well as the work. Um, I think it's also worth saying, and I, I, to me, this is, um, I was very pleased about this for a number of reasons, that this exhibition has been supported by the City Council's Cultural Ambition Fund. And I was very happy to get that funding. Obviously, everyone's happy to get funding, but I was also happy in that I felt this was a first step for maybe the city starting to recognise its digital art heritage. And one thing I would like to see coming out of this would be more recognition and maybe we start to create a digital art story as part of the cultural, what they would call the cultural offer of the city. So that it's, Leicester continues and become publicly associated with this innovative art form. So I think one thing I, I mentioned earlier is I'm very keen on people getting in touch to tell me about the holes in this history, of which there will be lots, but also I would love to hear stories from people that aren't necessarily the stories that we always record. One thing you, know, you can't miss with this exhibition is I've got eight artists and they're all male. Now that wasn't because I went out of my way to choose male artists, it's because I've struggled to find female stories from the early history of Leicester Digital Art. There will be stories out there. They may not have been documented in the same level as others, but I would love to hear from um, women, uh, kids whose parents were involved in digital art in the city and the county. So these untold stories, that would be an area I'd love to do more research. Thank you. 
Thank you.